Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. Hey, folks, let's talk a little bit about how do you get a diagnosis? How do you get a diagnosis of dementia? Hopefully, more specifically, what type of dementia for a certain type of dementia? Now, let's talk a little bit about what dementia is, first of all. So dementia is not actually a specific disease, but it's an overall term describing a wide range of symptoms. Dementia is not normal aging, and dementia is often caused by maybe damage to the brain from a disease like Alzheimer's disease or trauma, like a TBI or traumatic brain injury. So that's important to know, first of all, that the word dementia in and of itself isn't technically a specific disease, but folks often get a quote dementia diagnosis initially, or sometimes they may get a diagnosis of something called MCI or mild cognitive impairment when there's early concerns, but doctors still want to rule out what what it might be or or what um, could be causing the concerns. So let's talk about that. So again, just to to clarify in the beginning, dementia in and of itself is not a specific disease, but it's an overall term. So you've probably heard it being described as an umbrella term. So if you imagine a big umbrella that kind of covers all these different areas, dementia is the big wide umbrella. And then underneath the umbrella are the different types of dementia, like Alzheimer's disease or Lewy body's disease or frontal temporal lobe dementia or vascular disease. So, but first and foremost, what we need to do when people start having concerns about their memory or their loved one's memory is we want to rule out all the other causes. So it's, you know, we see this a lot where somebody who's older, who starts having memory problems professionals or family members or friends might automatically jump to this idea that, oh, they must have dementia or there must be something serious going on. And it's really important to understand, like we've talked about in the past, that losing your memory is not a normal part of aging. And so whether I use the example of someone that's older, because I think there's a lot of Uh, misconception about folks that are aging that we automatically think that they might develop a a memory impairment. There are folks that are younger as well that have problems with memory. I know myself personally, I have an autoimmune disease and I also have thyroid um, problems. And I, you know, at times in my life have been under a lot of stress. And certainly When my autoimmune disease is flaring up or I'm not getting sleep or I'm highly stressed, my memory is not working well. (laughs) So let's go through some of these things that can cause memory problems that are reversible. So this is when we have concerns about someone's memory. The first thing that we want to do is rule out these things that are actually fixable. And so if you take your loved one to the doctor 
and you're expressing that you're concerned about their memory, or if you yourself are going to the doctor and noticing that there's some memory stuff going on, good on you, first of all, that you're recognizing it, you're seeking help, you want to get answers, you're being your own best advocate. So what the doctor's role is, and, and yours as well, is to help rule out what can be causing these memory problems. So one thing that can definitely cause someone to have memory issues is having low B12 levels. So this is an interesting thing. I actually learned about this for myself personally, because when I went to the doctor about my own memory, one of the things they found is that I was deficient in vitamin B12. The other thing that I found out was a couple things. Um, I found out that there are certain individuals that have a genetic propensity in which they cannot convert B12 appropriately in their body. And so while I was eating food that was high in vitamin B12, although this is a little side note, it, it's becoming harder and harder for folks to supplement their diets and receive all the nutrients and vitamins that we need directly from our food because our food is so deprived of nutrients that the soil that it grows in and such. So that's a little side tangent. So many of us need some of these supplements in, in our bodies. But I found out that there are a lot of us that while we can take as many B12 pills as we want, our body is missing a significant piece that converts that B12 into a, an active form in our system. And so I learned that, oh, I'm one of the lucky individuals that needs to get B12 injections because what was happening is that B12 is converted somewhere in the gut. And so by having an injection, you bypass the gut and your body is able to absorb it immediately. So all that to say <laughs> that it is extremely important to have your B12 levels checked, especially if you're having memory problems, because it was a me, it was life-changing to me. And I have heard the same from others that when they got their B12 levels up to an, an optimal level, it was, it could be life-changing and their memories improve, improved, their energy improved, their mood improved. So that's an area that we really want to watch for. And so, and that's definitely one of the tests that most physicians will run in almost immediately when someone comes in and has concerns about their memory. So another area that a physician or healthcare practitioner would rule out would be your thyroid. So again, a lot of folks might have a thyroid disorder or problem, and if it's not being treated appropriately, it absolutely is going to impact your memory. So that's another test that they'll rule out. Now, some other areas that they will look at are going to be areas like sleep and sleep. Oh my gosh, we could go down a whole road talking about the different you know, quality of sleep and quantity of sleep. And I encourage you to do some research. We, I might have to bring a sleep specialist on to, to talk about that as well, because whether you're a caregiver or, or a person who is um, living with dementia, sleep is one of the first things that we want to protect in your life. 
because of the importance of your over really your overall health, whether that's your memory, whether that's your mood, your overall energy levels. I have this fancy little ring that I bought. It's called an aura ring that tracks my sleep and it breaks it down and tells me exactly how much deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep I get every night. And it measures it all out. So that's been kind of interesting to track. And I've learned a lot, actually. (laughs) I've learned that I don't get very good sleep when I eat too close to bedtime, or I don't get very good sleep if I have alcohol that day or that evening, or I'm, you know, surrounded by bright lights like my phone or my TV right before I go to bed. So it's really neat to have one of those trackers because you really start to learn about yourself in that way. The other thing I learned on a side note is that I'm taking this liquid melatonin. It's actually a fermented melatonin. And oh my gosh, the nights that I take that instead of using something else or taking, you know, not using anything else to help me sleep, I sleep really good. So that's a little tip for you. But of course, anything I say here, you always check with your physician before you run out and buy any supplements or or try anything. So another area we look at that can be causing memory problems, of course, would be stress levels, right? Now, that's a tricky one, because we know that often we can't change our circumstances, right? We can't take away the fact that we have to go to work every day, or that we have to get up in the morning and care for our loved ones all day, or that our family member is struggling in a certain way and there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, that's going to add stress to our lives. But what we can do is change the way we think about that stress. What we can do is be more aware of of our, our own needs as far as having some downtime, having some moments of reflection or mindfulness or meditation. That's the key piece there. Having depression or anxiety can absolutely cause memory problems. And so, I mean, gosh, I, I have had a client in the past and, and actually more than one that was diagnosed with dementia only to find out later they were severely depressed. And when we treated the depression, their memory improved and their their dementia diagnosis disappeared from their medical record. (laughs) So, I mean, that doesn't happen all the time, of course, but the symptoms, what symptoms someone expresses can definitely look similar to depression. Infections, right? Infections can cause memory problems. And so When we think of infection, we often think of the big ones, right? Like a UTI or something major going on. But what I'm learning a lot about lately are these underlying low-level infections that can have a significant impact on your body. So one of the main ones that I think about are oral cavities. So, and the most common one that we hear about is root canals. If you have a root canal you might be at a higher risk of having an undetected infection. And many times people have found out they've had a low-grade infection going on for years, but they're not experiencing pain. They're not noticing 
you know, any symptoms of the infection. And so it can linger for a very long time and it can absolutely cause a bunch of other health problems because your immune system is on overdrive constantly trying to, to keep this infection at bay. Another one would be like, there are some viruses out there, like a common one is EBV or Epstein-Barr virus that many of us have, and many of us don't realize we have, but that can flare at times. And um, our body has to fight really hard to keep those infections down. And so that can definitely have an impact on our memory. And again, I'm just reminding you everything I'm talking about now, these things are fixable. These are reversible things. And um, these are the things that most of your healthcare professionals will be ruling out when you or your loved one comes to them about memory concerns. So they're going to be looking at all of this stuff. Some other things that can cause that might be a medication adverse side effect. You know, maybe you started a medication or maybe you've been on a medication for years and you don't realize that it's going to have an impact over time on your memory. There's a lot of controversy right now out there about statins and some people seem to tolerate that well and others don't. So that's, you know, just an example, alcohol or drug use, of course, people that are using alcohol or, or other substances can definitely see an impact with their memory as well. So again, that's just a quick rundown of things that a physician might want to rule out before they move on to be looking at a type of dementia that someone might be having or might be experiencing. So who can give a diagnosis of dementia? Here's here's a really good question. So kind of the gold standard really to get a diagnosis would be to see a neurologist. Most of the time people start out with their general practitioners or their primary care physicians. Now, primary care physicians can absolutely diagnose somebody with a cognitive disorder or a dementia or even get specific about the type of dementia someone might have. So your your regular doctor can do that. There are certain doctors that feel more comfortable with that than others. And we certainly hope that if they don't feel confident in that, that they're going to be referring out. Where they often refer to would be a neurologist. And neurologists are those specialists that specialize in diseases of the brain and the nervous system. So that is right up their alley. They know all about all the different types of dementias and all the different brain disorders and diseases. So again, that's kind of the gold standard in getting a diagnosis. What I've seen in the past is that a general practitioner might diagnose somebody with quote dementia, but they're not getting to what type of dementia someone has. We also hope that at the level of a general practitioner, they're ruling out all of those other things we talked about before. So they're, they're ordering labs, they're doing a bunch of stuff to kind of rule out those easy, fixable things. And so if you go to your regular doctor and they say, okay, we ruled all this stuff out. doesn't look like you have any of these other issues. Looks like you probably have a type of dementia going on. Again, they may diagnose somebody with MCI or mild cognitive impairment, or they might even diagnose somebody with dementia. But then hopefully they're referring you on to find out exactly what type of dementia somebody is experiencing, because that's going to be so, so, so helpful in the future and in a lot of different ways. 
to know the type of dementia that someone has, whether it's for financial planning for the future or understanding the level of care or the type of care that someone might need, whether it's understanding how long someone might live, what their challenges could be or may not be, you know, all of that stuff is information and information, in my opinion, is power. So then there's two other medical practitioners that can diagnose dementia. And that's a psychiatrist or a psychologist too. So psychiatrists specialize in disorders that affect the mood or the way that the brain works. And they can often prescribe medications as well. Psychologists have special training in testing the memory and other mental functions. So there's slight differences between psychiatrists and psychologists. And then again, we're talking about neurologists who might often order like an MRI or a, a scan of the brain. So right now, there's no current treatment that will cure or slow the progression of the disease, of Alzheimer's disease. There are a couple medications out there that are often prescribed that often can sort of mask the symptoms of the disease. It doesn't slow the progression necessarily. So if you're declining at a certain rate, you're likely to continue to decline at that rate. But sometimes these medications can bump you up just enough to help clear your memory a little bit. And so there's some cholinesterase inhibitors that are often prescribed like Razadine or Aricept or Exelon. There's an MDA inhibitor called Nemenda. So you've, you've probably heard some of these medications. There's a new one out that's very controversial. It's a monoclonal antibody. And let's see if I can say it right. I've never had to say it out loud. Aducanumab. And I know all my friends are going to be laughing at me right now because that's the best I've got. <laughs> so what this medication does, let me spell it for you. So you can look it up. A-D-U-C-A-N-U-M-A-B. When this was approved, again, there was a lot of controversy around this. People, very respected scientists and researchers were very upset that it was approved. There's another group that were supportive of it. There's a lot of controversy. So I just really want to put that out there. But it reduces the amyloid beta. Again, this is controversial. So research that on your own, check it out. But just this is a reminder, I mean, currently, there's no cure. Those are some of the treatments or medications that are often prescribed. There's a ton of other stuff too. If, if you are more interested in a more natural or holistic approach, there's some great stuff out there about diet. There's great stuff out there about supplements and treatments that you can look at. I really am a big fan of Dr. Dale Bredesen's work. He has a couple books out there that are fantastic called The End of Alzheimer's is one of them. And I think there's like, I think there's an end of Alzheimer's workbook or practical guide or something like that. And I believe he might have another book that just came out or is coming out as well. But Dale Bredesen, Dr. Dale Bredesen has a fantastic approach to looking at dementias. And his, his approach in a nutshell is sort of looking for the root cause versus 
instead of trying to use pharmaceutical medication to take away the amyloid beta or the, the plaques and tangles, he's looking at why are they forming to begin with and addressing that. So he's looking at things like underlying infections that might be present in the body or exposure to chemicals and toxins or nutritional deficiencies. So I encourage you to check him out too. There are also things used like memory assessments. Maybe some of you have heard of the MMSE or the mini mental status exam or the slums is the St. Louis University mental status. One of my favorite assessments to use is the MOCA. So it's the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. The reason I like that one is because it assesses all these different areas of the brain, of, of your cognitive functioning. And so it's, it's, it's just one page of questions. You know, it's not too long. You can do it in a short period of time. You need somebody that has been trained and certified to administer this test. But what I like about it is that it separates these areas into these different sections. So you can see if you or your loved one score high in the visual spatial executive functioning area or low in the naming area or the memory area, other areas are attention, language, abstraction, delayed recall, and orientation. So that's helpful because you get a better idea of where somebody might be struggling and where they're not. So yeah, to just kind of sum up the how to get a diagnosis and what that looks like, doctors can diagnose Alzheimer's and other dementias by first thing, completing a thorough uh, medical history. So hopefully your doctor is asking a lot of really good questions about exposure to chemicals or history of being hit in the head, you know, brain trauma or adverse events when you were a child. Do you have a history maybe of PTSD or being exposed to trauma like war or abuse? All of those things increase your risk of developing dementia later in life. And so it's really important to get a thorough medical history and medical and so psychosocial as I'm kind of throwing that piece in there is super important. They will also hopefully do a mental status testing using one of those assessment tools or even better, you know, refer you out where uh, a, a good psychologist can be doing those tests with you. They would do a, a physical and neurological exam. They might do blood tests. Hopefully they're doing blood tests. Like I said, those labs to rule out all those other things. And they might even do brain imaging. So again, I'm going to highlight ruling out other illnesses is super important when you're trying to get to an accurate diagnosis. So I hope this was helpful for you. I am so happy to share this information. And again, if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to write us at hello at lifeonrepeatpodcast.com or check us out. We have social media too. I have a fantastic social media support person, Yavari. She's a little shout out to Yavari. She is always throwing stuff up on our Instagram and our Facebook page. So check us out and share with your friends. The more people that that listen to these, the more people it can reach. And really that's, that's my only goal is to just 
get information out there, share it. Hopefully that reduces the stigma. It reduces the isolation for those of you that are trying to navigate this stuff on your own. All right. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have comments or would like to send us a message, you can send it to hello at lifeonrepeatpodcast.com. Please also consider following us at Life on Repeat Podcast, either on Instagram or Facebook. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.